knock knock. Spike Milligan? Yes. 30 seconds to the curtain, Mr. Milligan. It's 30 seconds to the curtain. It's 5 foot 11 to the floor. I'll take the curtain. Hello and welcome to GoonPod, the podcast examining the Goon Show and the Goons themselves. Each episode, a guest and I take a look at some aspect of the Goons universe. And this week, I am fortunate enough to have managed to get my guest to commit to coming on and talking to me about two shows, one he'd seen growing up um, and the other a show he'd barely heard of before. Manning Crow, welcome. Hey, Tyler. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. So my first question, uh, earlier I made a delicious pun. Did you spot it? I did, yeah, I got it. <laughs> I mean, it was so subtle as to be almost <laughs> entirely unamusing. But anyway, so Manning, you're, you're an, uh, an artist, you're a sculptor, illustrator, um, comic book artist. Uh, yeah, jack of all trades. I, I, <laughs> I, I never knew how to describe myself, but I, I like doing creative projects and I, I've tried a million different kinds of things. And yeah, I do all kinds of stuff. You've got a fantastic website. I was looking at your website, sort of got lost in it. And there was, I was looking at the, the comics that you've illustrated. That's right. I mean, in the early days, I used to actually self-publish comics back in the late 90s, early 2000s. But now, yeah, only online. I don't do it very often. That's the thing with any, any creative thing I've done. I, I haven't stuck to it for a very long time, so I don't have a huge output. But uh, yeah, comics online are a thing that I, I do usually once a year for Halloween. Um, that's about it these days. Yeah, there's one actually, Secret Santa, <laughs> I really enjoyed, which is basically a, what is he, a department store, Father Christmas, who's actually Dracula. That's right. And that was written by, I think you're acquainted with, R.J. White, my friend uh, R.J., who lives in Philadelphia. Not personally acquainted, but I certainly oh, okay. admire his work. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> he, he, he's one half of the uh, Just One More Thing Columbo podcast. You've got it. Yeah, wonderful yeah. guy. Manning, people will have realized by your accent that you're my first transatlantic guest. You live in New York, in Brooklyn, is that right? Uh, not anymore. I've recently relocated. I'm in New Orleans now, but I was in Brooklyn for 11 years. One of the reasons that I wanted to involve you with uh, this podcast was that obviously this is um, a podcast devoted to the goon show and the individual goons themselves and their body of work. And I was quite keen because the, the guests I've had so far have all been very knowledgeable um, and clued up about the goons. But from what from what you've told me, you hadn't even heard of the goon show until you and I discussed them. That, that's right. I had literally never heard the name uh, the goon show, and uh, and then I went and listened to as much as I could, and you know, listened to your podcast as well. But uh, yeah, I have a lot of. I, I was very very surprised by a lot of it, and I'm sure you saw it, Tyler. I uh, I put a poll on Twitter to see if other North Americans or Anglophones uh, that that I know you know online if they had heard of the goon show either, because I honestly, as someone who really cares about comedy and history of comedy. Uh, I was embarrassed that I wasn't familiar with it. So uh, the results of that Twitter poll with, I think, you know, about 50 people replied, but uh, I asked for North Americans. So I'm, you know, talking uh, Anglophones, Canadians, Americans, yeah. uh, asking if they've heard of it. And it came out that it was 23% of us have heard of it. And the other, what, uh, 77% yeah. uh, were not familiar at all. So yeah. that was a little bit vindicating. I felt a little bit relieved to see that, you know. Obviously, Peter Sellers is very well known in the United States, but I would say the other guys from the show really, really are not. Uh, I could be wrong about that. There could be people who are fans of, uh, of the others as well. But uh, even Peter Sellers, you know, he's clearly before my time in terms of, you know, his heyday and I would have been a little kid uh, or not even born yet. But um, I even asked some of the young people for my work. I work in advertising with pretty smart, educated, cultured people. And the young people that I work with don't even know who Peter Sellers is, which I thought was kind of funny. I was really keen to speak to someone who had no 
who'd never heard a Goon show. But I thought that rather than just ask you just, just to listen to a bunch of Goon shows, which could be cruel and unusual punishment, you know, if you're not <laughs> into that sort of thing. I don't know. Were you a, or are you a Monty Python fan? Yeah, oh, absolutely. As a kid, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same in, in, uh, in the UK, but here, like, uh, any nerdy teenage boy is going to be familiar with Monty Python. And and I heard you talk about this with one of your guests in one of your episodes, but quoting these things endlessly, doing the voices endlessly, right? Yeah. So quoting, uh, you know, Holy Grail is a thing that, like, me and all my ner nerdy high school friends did constantly, and I'm sure it was very annoying for people. But yeah, so I would say the Flying Circus, like, TV show was not as well known here, but the movies certainly are, are definitely, like, a, an iconic sort of cultural thing for, for young, weird kids. Python was very influenced by the goon show my, uh, i think michael palin in particular was was very keen on the goon show monty python's flying circus heavily was heavily influenced by spike milligan's series q5 ah which i've read a little about but i'm not familiar yeah yeah which which predated flying circus but in any case i mean we, we may touch on this again later but uh python is probably Without the well, you could say without the goons, you wouldn't have had Python. I don't know if that's entirely accurate. I, I feel like I can absolutely see that. I, I can tell you that my my first and maybe strongest reaction to the first just one or two minutes of listening to the Goon Show was that I don't know what I was expecting. I, I shouldn't have been expecting anything at all, but um, the silliness of it really struck me. And that reminds me a lot of Monty Python. And I can tell you that, I don't know if you've heard this kind of thing, but in the US in general, speaking in very broad, very general terms, uh, we think of English culture and English comedy, uh, British things in general as being a little more intellectual, a little more serious, a little more refined. And so I think I was expecting that, which is ridiculous because with just the name, The Goon Show, I should have been expecting something really silly. But uh, I was really struck by the, the crazy energy, the fast paced nature of it. And I, I do see a big overlap with Python there in terms of the, the, the energy, the style of that kind of silly, just taking things in a really weird direction uh, and, and not playing it seriously at all. That was like, it, it struck me that it was, much less of a kind of organized, structured, serious craft that I would be listening to. I guess, I, I don't know what American shows I've had in my head that were, that was, you know, unconsciously comparing it to maybe, or expecting to uh, see a similarity. But yeah, it was, I, I definitely see that, that connection with Python for sure. The, the received wisdom over here in the UK is that in, in the US, they consider there to be three major comedy behemoths that came out of Britain, uh, one being Monty Python. Uh, one being Benny Hill, yeah, <laughs> uh, and 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 the other being Are You Being Served? Oh, sure, yeah, okay, great, um, yeah. Which and again, like not not extremely well known in the states. I would say clearly, people who are fans of comedy, fans of uh, you know uh, just kind of like underground culture uh, things that are a little bit less mainstream would be aware of these things. But um, like like you know, in mentioning that my colleagues didn't know who Peter Sellers was, it's the kind of thing where if you're a fan of cinema in the U.S., you certainly know who Peter Sellers is. But uh, if uh, if that's not your thing, like mainstream regular people just aren't familiar with these things. I think Are You Being Served is something that maybe in the would that have been eighties or seventies. Uh, when that was airing. It began 72 and ended in okay. five. There we go. Oh, wow, longer than I thought. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I would say maybe at that time, American audiences would have been familiar with it. But I think nowadays, not a lot of people would be. Uh, even even the, like to name the, the Pythons by, by name, I don't think a lot of people would be even familiar with who John Cleese is. And again, like it's skewed because 
I wanted to go back to the, the Twitter poll that I posted with 23% of people familiar with uh, The Goon Show. I also think that my audience on Twitter, small as it may be, it's like a thousand people, but um, that they would skew toward the people who would be more likely to be familiar with The Goon sure. Show. I think if you yeah. were to poll average Americans, I think you would get a much, much, much lower number. And so same for things like, are you being served? And who is, uh, you know, like the, the Pythons, like who, who are they by name? That sort of thing. I don't think you'd have a lot of recognition there as like Americans in general. Hard, hard to predict. Yeah, let me tell you though. Yeah, I'm I'm a podcast junkie. Uh, there's, to my knowledge, there's one podcast dedicated to Are You Being Served, and it's it's presented by two American guys. Really? Wow. Yeah. All right. But yeah, so I thought rather than just ask you to listen to some goon shows and just try and talk talk about them, I thought would sort of ease you in by talking about the Muppet Show and specifically the episode that Peter Sellers appeared in in 1978 and the episode that Spike Milligan was on the following year. So what's your memories, if any, of The Muppet Show in general? Yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, interesting thing about The Muppet Show, I was a very small kid watching. I, I remember I'm probably, you know, about five or six years old sitting on the living room uh, floor in front of the TV and uh, being really, really excited by the puppets and the colors and the sets, but having no understanding of the of the jokes that were happening and going back and watching not just these two episodes several times with uh, with Sellers and Milligan, but um, watching other episodes that I remembered vaguely, like Alice Cooper, Vincent Price, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I realized that all of the jokes were completely lost on my five or six year old brain. Uh, I was just excited by the you know the colors basically and, and moving moving parts. But um, so it's interesting to go watch those, and especially with uh, again, I as an American was not familiar with Spike Milligan at all. I don't remember seeing that episode as a kid, and I, I honestly don't remember the Sellers episode either. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but in watching them a few times, it was really, really interesting. Um, I found I was more excited, more eager to watch the Sellers episode because I knew who he was and I already really admired him. Uh, and his episode's fine. And then the Spike Milligan episode, I was intrigued because uh, I wasn't familiar with him. And I was really, really surprised by this level of chaotic energy that he brought to it. Yeah. But anyway, going back to your question about my, my memories of The Muppet Show, I remember it being really fun and seeming really sophisticated for me as a very small child. It seemed like I was watching something pretty sophisticated where I knew I didn't get some of the jokes or I thought I did, maybe didn't really. But also seeing that all these entertainers who were the guest stars were people who, I would say more than half the time, I didn't even know who they were. But uh, knowing that they brought a level of kind of like, uh, you know, these people are respected people either in in film or music or something like that. And it just seemed to lend a kind of um, credibility to the show, which it's a puppet show, right? I don't know. I I always thought it was really at an amazing production. I was always awed by the, the you know, the um, the set design and things like that. I, I'm sure it's an influence on a lot of the uh, the sculpture and costume design things that I've done over the years. Yeah, yeah it's 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 definitely it's an iconic show for Americans. Obviously, I even in reading about it, just you know, since I've been talking to you in the last few weeks, reading about it, I didn't realize that it was produced in the UK. You're probably well aware of that. Yes, I mean, I, I've not hold my hands up. I've not actually done any specifically for this. I've not done any research on the history of the, of the Muppet Show, although. I'm aware of the history of the Muppet Show. So yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that uh, Jim Henson was trying to get American networks to pick up the, the the sort of format for the Muppet Show. And I think they made a couple of pilot shows, um, one which was called Sex and Violence. That's right. That name really sticks out for me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they just weren't getting anywhere with American networks. I know they were on Saturday Night Live for a while. 
And then there was a gentleman called Lou Grade, one of the sort of giants of British entertainment, television, films, um, probably the most famous being Raise the Titanic, which I don't know if you've heard of that. No, I'm not familiar. Big budget film, which kind of the title kind of gives you an idea as to what the plot is. The, the film is about them trying to raise the Titanic from, from the ocean bed. And I think, I think Lou Grade said it would have been cheaper to lower the Atlantic. <laughs> basically but i think it was a bit of a flop that film but anyway he must have seen this pilot that henson had made and decided that you know he, he saw it as being successful said why don't you come over to the uk and then it could be syndicated the show can be syndicated in the us so i think they filmed what was it four or five seasons and that's why i think the majority of the guests were americans but there were quite a few Brits as well. Yeah, honestly, I feel like um, reading through lists of episodes, I didn't count, but it seems like it, it leans very, very heavily toward lots of British uh, guests or hosts or whatever. Um, and uh, so I, I feel like um, a lot of people who are probably just local were, you know, very interested in being on the show. I read that a lot of celebrities who are asking to be on the show was considered kind of a, a badge of honor at the time. Um, so it seems like a very high percentage of, uh, of British guests, more than you'd see on any other American show, for example. Yeah, Bruce Forsyth, who will right. be, would be totally unknown in the US. <laughs> totally unknown. In fact, this is ridiculous. I only uh, know who he is because of an episode of uh, Toast of London, where they they talk about him a bit. <laughs> I know the one. I know <laughs> yeah, the you one. do. All right. So, yeah. so I, I looked him up after that because I was really curious. Like, is this a real guy? You know, I wasn't familiar <laughs> with him at all. That's a fantastic episode. So, I mean, my memories of The Muppet Show, very similar to yours in, in as much as I think I'm more or less the same age as you. I'm maybe slightly older. I was born in 74. And it would have been in the early 80s that I would have first seen the Muppets, I guess. And I find it hard to, to, to be able to specifically remember any episodes. Yeah, same. Yeah, I feel the same way, man. Yeah, I can't even, I couldn't even really pull out any specific sketches or songs. They just kind of all merge into one in my head. I, I feel similar. There are just a couple that stand out, but the vast majority of it for me is one big blur of, you know, colors and shapes and puppets. I, I don't find a favorite character, but I can tell you that um, in, in thinking about, I hadn't thought about the Muppet show at all in decades, but uh, after you got in touch and we talked about, you know, watching a few episodes, I realized there was a song, one act that really stood out in my head, but it was of a, a guest who I was not familiar with. So I it was one of those things, I'm sure you've had this kind of phenomenon of how to Google something when you don't know any yes. of the words that it yes. involves, right? So I remember, and I, I, I found the solution so I can tell you the answer to this, but in my head, it was like, there was a song uh, where it was, like, you know, a, a, a number where it was like a young lady in a house and welcoming, like, I guess the viewer into her home, but slowly revealing that she's got these different Muppets tied up or chained up or boxed up in her house. Does this ring a bell at all? Have you just, <laughs> no. Okay. No. So, and it, it, the whole thing starts like really cute and really innocent. And then like, she talks about, you know, welcoming people into her home and then one's in the oven and one's in the freezer you know, above <laughs> the refrigerator. And I remember as a little kid, not being scared by it, but being shocked by it, being thinking like, wow, this is really terrible. <laughs> You know? yeah. uh, and being intrigued because like, you know, I, my whole life I've been a fan of like horror and true crime and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, bad, bad things. And as a little kid being exposed to like, it seems like she's doing something really bad to these people. Like they're really trying to get out. <laughs> and that really shocked me as a, as a kid. So I looked it up. I, I managed to find it. I you know Googled something like Muppet show lady kidnaps people or whatever. <laughs> and it's a song. I want to say it's called like everyone's welcome in my house or something like that. And it's a, a, a lady who was a model 
an actress who I'm not familiar with named Marissa Berenson, I want to say his name. I might be getting that a little bit wrong. But uh, anyhow, yeah, so that was that scene, like very strong, almost like crystal clear snapshots of that are burned into my brain. And other than that song, nothing else in The Muppet Show really is that clear for me. It's just this blur of, you know, music and puppets and people screaming. I forget if this was before we were recording or not, but I mentioned the the Alice Cooper episode of The Muppet Show, the Vincent Price episode of The Muppet Show. These were other things where I didn't even know who those guys were at the time, but they set, you know, scenes for them. They wrote, they wrote scenes for them that would involve spooky castles and haunted houses and coffins and stuff. And I love that stuff as a kid. I can't explain why, but um, so those stick out for me a little bit as well. It's crazy to grow up and like be a fan of Vincent Price, but I had no idea who he was when I was watching him on The Muppet Show. There's, there's only one episode of The Muppet Show that I, I know beginning to end. And, and I could, Which one? And I could recite it beginning to end. And I'll tell you- Get out of here. Because <laughs> must have been in the mid eighties before we got a VHS recorder. I would, I went through a phase of recording off the TV, the audio <laughs> of- right. I've done that too. <laughs> shows, yeah. And I must've taped an episode. Well, I did tape an episode of The Muppet Show you know, like with my mum or dad would, you know, in the car or whatever, and I was sit- sitting in the passenger seat, I'd say, you know, stick this tape on. And it would be, <laughs> it would be something like, you know, in this case, The Muppet Show or a program called Allo Allo, which you won't have heard of. No, that uh, one I don't know. But there, there was this, the one with the guest was Twiggy. Oh, yeah, sure. The weird thing is, there's, there's one aspect of The Muppet Show that used to scare the bejesus out of me. When I was a kid, there was there was one visual figure, one character in the Muppet Show, which always stayed with me, and, and I hated. hated I'm intrigued. It used to really, really freak me out, and it was the Blue Phantom. Oh, I don't remember who that is. Who's Blue Phantom? I'm going to look at the picture. Right. Well, the the crazy thing is, he actually, I think he did because I, I was looking up the Twiggy episode actually, and I think he debuted as a character on that Twiggy episode, actually. Um, Let's see. Oh, right. And he's in the Vincent Price sketch that I just watched earlier today. Right. Right. Yeah, terrifying. Good, good. (laughs) And now I must ask, can you tell me what time it is? Uh, oh golly, my hourglass seems to have stopped. Oh, this is terrible, terrible. We're in trouble. Why is that? Because every night at the stroke of midnight, the master turns into a screaming, maniacal, demonic, raging, bloodlusting animal. And then I get me. <laughs> yes, he's, yeah. got this, he's got this really skeevy voice as well. And, and by the way, um, Sesame Street, I used to get freaked out by the Count. Oh, well, the Count never never scared me. No, no. <laughs> there were other characters that probably did. In fact, you know what? Actually, watching Muppet Show uh, stuff the last few weeks, I realized that Sam the Eagle I really didn't like because he seemed so so stern. That kind of intimidated me, and I, I thought he seemed like a bad guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the Blue Phantom is a really creepy design. I mean, for if you compare him to the look of all the other Muppets, he's like a completely different thing. Yes. So the the Peter Sellers episode. You said obviously you you knew of Peter Sellers. Had you seen any films? that you can remember? Oh, I mean, well, do you mean when I was a kid watching The Muppet Show or do you mean like just in general? general. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, so of course I've seen a few of the Pink Panthers. Of course I've seen Dr. Strangelove. 
Um, I actually have seen The Party, which is very controversial in the mm -hmm. States. Uh, but I saw it in the 90s, probably, when I don't think we were thinking about that stuff as much yeah. as we should have been. Uh, and I've really enjoyed it. And um, what else would I have seen him in? I've seen, you know, as a kid, I saw, um, you know, being there on TV a few times, but never all the way through, just pieces here and there. What yeah. else would I have seen? I mean, that, that, that's probably about the extent of it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in the States, he's mostly known for, I think I could say, mostly known for Pink Panther and uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, well, he almost well, he was nominated for Best Actor Oscar for being there. Oh, I didn't realize. Wow. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, and he lost out to Dustin Hoffman. Which film? Um, Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. So it would have been nice because he died the year after. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, what were your overall thoughts about his appearance on The Muppet Show? It's interesting, you know, so I'm, I'm sure you probably read the same blurb that I did that uh, he didn't want to appear as himself at all in yeah. the episode. And I think he does for like one very brief conversation with Kermit, uh, but otherwise he's, he's in character the whole time. Um, and uh, so it was interesting to see him in, the, obviously it's Peter Selleck, so different roles, different accents, different kind of style and, uh, and pulling them all off it, it just effortlessly. Um, but in a way, I felt like it was kind of sad to not see through that a little bit and see him and then like right after I watched the episode, I found, uh, I think in the beginning, I found pieces of it on YouTube, but then later I found the full episode somewhere else. Um, but I found an interview with him uh, in the States where they were you know, talking about this, this idea. And I don't know if it, was, if it was really something that he believed or something that the media kind of created about him, that there was no real Peter Sellers, that he, he doesn't have an actual voice and an actual personality. They make a joke about that in one of the bits on The Muppet Show when he's playing the um, kind of Shakespearean guy in the Viking helmet. Mm -hmm. uh, about about him not having a, a, a what is it a, a real self or something like that. He had he there, there was a me, but I had it surgically removed. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that was that was very striking. And so well, can so here's the thing. I have so many questions for you. I, I realize like there's a there's going to be a danger here of me turning this into no, no, me in, me interviewing you. Um, <laughs> but so uh, like, did, did Peter Sellers had that reputation? And I guess I want to ask you: Was he a public figure in in the UK? Like, was he you know outside of the media that we saw him that you saw him in was he someone who would appear on shows and like actually give interviews and stuff or like was he that kind of guy yes he was he often seemed very ill at ease just being himself in interviews. so so strange yeah 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 i see it's so strange you know you hear about that like entertainers who are very shy or have stage fright and that that blows my mind because like I've never been any kind of professional entertainer, but as a kid, I played music in school orchestra, school band, and, you know, played in bands and stuff like that. And the idea of stage fright never occurred to me, you know, just like, uh, so. I, I don't, it, I, I don't think he ever had stage fright. In fact, in fact, I'd say he was very confident on stage, but he, he would only be confident on stage going on in character. In a role. I see. I see. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so, so strange. So hard to, hard to understand, but um, to be like, that, that brilliant, and I would say um, almost universally lauded for that brilliance, and then to, I don't know, to have any kind of like reservations about it. That's strange. Well, the, the thing is that he had a number of wives. I mean, his first wife was in the 50s, so he was bound up doing The Goon Show, but he was also getting into films. And by, by the end of the 50s, he, he'd pretty much established himself as a pretty big British film star. And what he tended to do was he would get into character, whatever character it was for whatever particular film he was doing, uh, but he wouldn't he wouldn't sort of take that character off at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the shooting. So he would go home in the evening, still as that character, and wow. that was and that was okay if he's playing a benign 
friendly character. <laughs> yeah. Um, as he often did, but not so nice if he's playing, you know, a, a nasty SOB. Yeah. Uh, and and do you think was is the consensus that he was just trying to do method or was that just his own very strange, <laughs> like, uh, uh, quirk? I don't know. I don't think he was, I don't think method ever entered his head. I think yeah, yeah. Just, just his it, just his thing. He was a very, very difficult man to decipher. Wow. More or less, he did one straight film, and by that I mean one non-comedy film in his career, which was, I think, 1960, 61. It was called Never Let Go. And he played a real East End kind of gangster-type character who was quite violent, and, and you know, he, he would stay in character <laughs> when he got home. And he also, uh, 58, 59, he was asked to appear as a union leader, shop steward in a film called I'm All Right, Jack, which is now considered a, you know, a, one of the sort of greatest British comedy films of all time. But he was asked to, to appear, you know, to star in this film. And he was, he really didn't want to do it at first. He was really, he just felt he couldn't do the character. He couldn't find the character. And then gradually they sort of persuaded him to try on some tight fitting, ill fitting clothes to put on this little fake like a Hitler moustache kind of thing and he tried out a few voices and and he's it's sort of like it suddenly he just suddenly got it and he suddenly realized actually I can do this character <laughs> and he I think he won the BAFTA award for best actor for that wow for that role because you know as soon as he found the character it was like you know a switch being flipped and 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 he was supremely confident but he would it's almost like he would stay in character so as not to lose it so he always I, had, yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, it's it's really intense, man, to think about like, uh, yeah, having that kind of relationship. Where it's it's a job, right? It's your work, I and mean, having yeah. that kind of relationship with it is pretty pretty nuts. I would not like to have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so you'll have seen him, and obviously, there's a there's a very slight uh, moment in the Muppet Show where he is quote himself when talking right. to Kermit, but then he comes back wearing a German army helmet yeah, um, and doing a, a comedy German accent, which is what he would, that would be his sort of default um, accent, I think. And, and he, there's a major British chat show in the seventies and eighties called Parkinson, uh, which was hosted by a guy called Michael Parkinson. And he wanted Peter Sellers to go on uh, to be interviewed and Peter Sellers didn't want to, because he didn't want to talk about himself or he just felt uncomfortable. And so he ended up being persuaded to do so, but he basically went on, you know, when Parkinson introduced him, he went on wearing this German army helmet. Wow. Well. <laughs> and did a sort of like, did a little sort of stand-up routine, which was basically just lifting wholesale from the film, The Producers. He, he do you, have you seen The Producers? Sure, yeah. Uh, the Kenneth Mars character, the, the German character that Kenneth gotcha. Mars plays. Yeah. yeah, so Peter Sellers basically just did a chunk of dialogue from the producers uh, to, kind of, to kind of almost sort of break the ice on this on this chat show. Sergeant, this is the gas. Look, it's plenty. And just rotten painting, rotten. He took, there was a painter. He could paint an entire apartment in one afternoon, two coats. Churchill, it is, it is brandy and it's the gas. And it's painting and it's rotten painting. <laughs> Hitler. Yeah, but the painter for you. Could paint an entire apartment, two coats, one afternoon. And I think once people were laughing and that, he kind of, you know, 
he, he felt a bit more comfortable sitting down, taking off the helmet, right. talking about himself. And yeah, it's, you mentioned the, the, the German accent being one of his like uh, go-to voices, I guess. And it, it was interesting to see in the, the Muppet Show episode that he did the German character that to me, it sounded like the same kind of voice as, uh, as in Dr. Strangelove. Um, and I didn't realize that was one of his main things that he would use frequently because I, yeah, I haven't seen as much of his stuff. But uh, it just seemed like uh, I, I knew that, again, I, I was surprised to learn the show was produced in the UK, but I knew American audiences would recognize that character and that voice. And I'm not sure how much of a star he was in the US. So, uh, but that, that character would make that connection for them, I think. Well, Strange Love was, yeah, Strange Love was a huge hit. And obviously it was a Kubrick film. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, myself and uh, Adam, a previous guest, we, we did a goon pod on Dr. Strange Love. Oh, cool. A few, few weeks ago. Uh, and I completely neglected because, to be honest with you, I'd forgotten that he, yeah, he does the strange love. He, it's like it's strange love's brother that he's <laughs> doing on the Muppet Show because, yeah, yeah. Um, he's not got the he's not got the same hairdo, and he's got this little sort of hit the moustache thing going on. Yeah, yes, he, I guess he Sellers probably was thinking, and I don't know how much input he would have had into the sketches and the songs. I, I wondered a lot about that. I, I, in, in everything that I watched about the Muppet Show in the last few weeks, I wondered a lot. Were these things written with these guests in mind, or did, did they just have a backlog of like kind of like with SNL or something like that? We've got these sketches we want to do, and oh, this person's a good fit. Let's throw it at them. Or were they writing material specifically for these people? I'm not really sure. Well, I'm 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 guessing that they would have had this sketch. So the sketch is that what's the character called? Link Hogthrob. Oh yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Who, who was who was in? He was always popping up in Pigs in Space. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, but he's he needs some physiotherapy, and I'm guessing they probably had the sketch written, and they said Peter Sellers comes in as a character, as a funny character, and um, proceeds to uh, basically contort Link into all these yeah. you know, time up and knots, basically. And Sellers probably read that sketch and said, "Okay, I know, I'll do it as." strange love right because, that makes sense yeah. because americans will remember strange love from the film so you know rather than doing for example i don't know major blood knock yeah you know, he, he's gonna he's i'm guessing sellers was canny enough to think you know i'll do it recognition is a huge thing in comedy sure so yeah yeah you know although you know there's that song at the beginning of the muppet show the the now slightly problematic gypsy song. right yeah um, I'm not quite sure where that came from because that's not really a character that Sellers had really done before, to my knowledge. But yeah, and, and actually, I had that in my notes. I was surprised. Like to me, that one, it, it didn't really, uh, it didn't do anything for me. You know, I felt like he didn't have anything to bring to it that it needed. I felt like you could put any any actor in that role and it would have been fine. Um, I thought, yeah, he's he's very good in it, but it didn't seem to really like play to his strengths. And um, I don't know. I, I thought that was a strange beginning because that was the first big song number that they did um, for with, with him, uh, yes. with him starring. And then, but I thought toward the end, there's the other one, the cigarettes and whiskey, which I thought was fantastic. Yes. yes. Um, but wild, also wild very, woman. that's right. And, yeah. and I also, I have so many notes about this, but it's like, um, I thought that was interesting where he, he does a flawless American accent with this kind of, you know, old timey Southern thing. I don't know if it's any one real particular region or anything, but uh, he doesn't drop it for a second. And I, a thing, and I'm sure I'm not the only American who enjoys this, hearing people from other parts of the Anglophone world play in American entertainment and try to do American accents, they usually slip up somewhere. And it's usually when they're yelling. But um, I mean, 
Peter Sellers is a pastor. So yeah, he's, he's perfect. He's flawless the whole way through, but it's also interesting how straight it's played where he performs the song. He does a little, uh, a little speech beforehand and then the Muppets are around him, but it's, there's nothing funny about it. You know, it's, it's interesting. He's just performing a song as like, as a singer. It's, uh, it's strange. Sellers was always, always played straight. Every, every character, he never, he was never over the top in any of his roles or very rarely he was over the top on the goon show but in terms oh, yeah, of his, sure. in terms of his film characters he tended to be he, he'd always play it quite straight and again the previous guest adam has, has pointed out he, he he always came across as having this kind of repressed sort of nervousness huh. often and and look at his eyes he he keeps himself he keeps his body quite rigid a lot of the time yeah and agreed He's not, he's not a loose comedian. It's, it's true. In, in that particular song, I thought it was strange how he was not very animated. Again, I thought he performed it really, really well, but he's, it's like he could have played it to be really funny and over the top. But uh, yeah, he just, he just stands very still and sings it and looks straight ahead. And the puppets kind of, you know, the Muppets around him do all the, the funny stuff. But yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. I like the song, you know, but I also thought it was very strange. The pronunciation of the word cigarettes. And now we're getting off topic where this has got nothing to do with Peter Sellers <laughs> and nothing to do with The Muppet Show. But yeah. I've never in my life heard that pronunciation. And I, I, I don't know if that comes from anything in like American history or something like that. And, it, you know, in a way, like as an American watching it, it seems like maybe that's some kind of old timey thing that we don't say yeah. anymore. Yeah, but I feel like pretty well versed in those kinds of things. So it was, yeah, it's just kind of surprising. Well, he, um, the, the song was made a hit i'm not sure how big a hit but it was a hit i think in the 40s by um red ingles wow okay now in 1951 peter sellers appeared with red ingles on a variety bill at the prince of wales theater so he made they no doubt probably played it at that time got it and and he may well have watched the performance and it sort of stuck in his head and possibly he suggested it to um, Henson and Co. I, I like the song. It's fun. It's been in my head for a long time now. How I was happy and I had a good life. I had enough money to last me for life. I met with the gal and we went on a street. She taught me to smoke and to drink whiskey, cigarettes and whiskey and wild, wild women. They'll drive you crazy, they'll drive you insane. <laughs> cigarettes and whiskey and wild, wild women. They'll drive you crazy, they'll drive you insane. I believe I'll give it up. I guess. Knowing what I know about Sellers, he probably had quite a big part in sort of suggesting the bits that he was in because he'd like, I, I think he'd probably always like to have a certain degree of control and comfort. And uh, and I guess they probably, uh, you know, he's a big star at the time. They, they probably uh, yeah. accommodated him. I could see that. And this is a guess. Maybe you can tell me if this is correct or not. I could see him being a perfectionist about these things. Oh, yes. Okay, oh, yes. yeah. So uh, where, this isn't just, like, you know, random occurrence random outpouring of of fun energy it's like i it seems very controlled which is i would say in contrast to just maybe my own observation but smike milligan his episode of the muppet show um which i wanted to mention that while i enjoyed 
the Sellers episode of The Muppet Show much more. I found the Milligan episode much more interesting. And I have yeah. a lot more notes about it. Nice segue. By the way. <laughs> um, no, but could you imagine that cigarettes and whiskey performance performed by Milligan? It would be... Right. Completely different. I would picture it really over the top, you know, really a, a lot more um, emphatic, a lot more wild faces, you know, pulling faces. And uh, yeah, it's just a really different kind of vibe. He's out of control, man. Like, so, I, you know, again, I'm not familiar with Milligan at all. And I wanted to ask you one of my list of questions. So clearly, when these episodes aired in the UK, Peter Sellers was a star. He's also a star in, in the US. Was Spike Milligan a star, a household name in the UK when this episode would have aired? Oh, yes. Okay, Absolutely. yeah. All right. He was probably even at that time, late 70s, what, what we would call a national treasure. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. He's, he'd always been a bit of a, uh, he was always sort of kicking against the establishment. He was always a bit of a unpredictable sod, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, sure. But no, he was, he was very popular. He was very famous. I mean, Sellers and Milligan had been and remained pretty much to the end, best of friends that they, they, they were very, very close. And I'd say that, you know, if you ask the average, I'd say, I'd say, Sellers probably had the edge in the UK in terms of fame for obvious reasons, but Milligan yeah. was, a, was a close second. Yeah, okay. Milligan brings this energy, and I think I said this earlier, like a chaotic energy. And a, a thing that's always been funny, I think, about the Muppet show is that these Muppets, you know, of course, they're being controlled by a human being, but their movements, their body language, their energy has this kind of wild kind of factor to it because their bodies move so strangely. They move so fast. You know, the way that, that Kermit would bounce up and down as he quickly walks away and they're panicking and they're screaming. It's it's chaos all the time. And I think part of the, the premise of The Muppet Show is that things are kind of a disaster all the time. They're trying to rein it in. To see Spike Milligan come in, it's like he brings, he's crazier than these inhuman characters. And I, that really, really is interesting. Like it's almost, his energy is almost scary in this episode, I think in a few times when he's just like uh, doing his own thing. He was, I would say he was possibly dialing it up more than he normally would. I see. Yeah. I know that he had been extremely keen to be on the Muppet show. I think he'd been a fan from, from, you know, when it first aired, I think he, you know, he loved everything about the Muppet show. Yeah. I think he loved its looseness. It's sort of anarchy. There's a certain degree of anarchy right? to the, to the yeah. Muppet show. Yeah. And, and for that reason, I think he kind of blends into it in a way that most of the other stars who are on the show don't. It's usually a contrast, right? Stars being, themselves being a normal person or you know something close to that and then they're they're interacting with these crazy characters and it's like he's just on their level one of the crazy characters or maybe even a little bit crazy but yeah maybe he is dialing it up intentionally i also think that he knew that it would be going out to an american audience who wouldn't really know who he was uh, so he was he was doing his damnedest to leave an impression yeah, by, yeah that makes sense by being as over the top and as uh, wild as possible <laughs> I'm, tr I'm trying to think of what American audiences at the time would know him for. And he was, a, he, he'd been in some films. I mean, the, probably, I'm trying to think the probably the most high profile film that Americans would have seen him in would have been the, the Richard Lester Three Musketeers. Oh, really? Was, okay. Which was mid seventies. And he, he was in that playing, I think he was playing Raquel Welch's husband. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which is why he always had a slightly startled expression on his face. He was also in the Monty Python film Life of Brian, but Blink and you really? listen. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I know that one pretty well. I'll I'll try to find his scene after this. Um, yeah. Well, he the only reason he's in that was because they were filming in Tunisia and he was on holiday. He happened to be on holiday. <laughs> and, cool. and they and they knew him because of you know, obviously he was a comedy legend. He was 
you know, their hero in many ways. Yeah. And and they knew him and they just said, Spike, do you want to do a scene? And just had a couple of lines and then walked off and that was it. But no, yeah, he just, he comes, he's, he's straight out of the trap, isn't he? From the moment the Muppet Show begins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, and, you know, keep in mind, I, I don't know if you can like put yourself in my shoes. This is the first time I've ever seen this guy, you know? So I had, I think I watched his episode before I listened to any of the Goon Show episodes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is my first exposure. And I had already watched the Sellers episode, which I, even though, you know, the show's funny and there's a lot of energy, he's fairly reserved in it. Mm. And then the Milligan episode is just like completely, yeah, just off the scale <laughs> energy from, from the first moment. Um, and it's something really funny about it. I also think, uh, you know, in producing that show, the, the, the team around this episode, they must have noticed that there was this kind of different vibe because the hecklers loved his segment and that never happened. So at least I can't remember <laughs> that ever happening, but he does this weird speech and I, I have it written down. It's the intergalactic brotherhood of man, including things. And it's just this kind of rambling, mm. weird, I, I can't even, I don't even know how to describe it. People should look it up on YouTube and watch it. But um, at the end of that, the hecklers who normally are looking for something terrible to say, they talk about like, wow, that was really crazy and nonsensical and they loved it. And they're laughing and they're, you know, like roaring their, uh, their oh, approval. Oh, you, you talk about Waldorf and Statler. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's, that's right. They, they actually, it's like the, uh, they, they may have done this in other episodes, but I cannot recall another time that they actually said something nice about anything that they enjoyed anything. No, and I no, think that no. they, they, they loved the, the random weirdness to it and his, his weird presentation of it. Right. The word things is, a, is, a, is one of Spike's favorite words or was one of Spike's favorite words. Ah, all right. I didn't know that. So, and so how would that, how would that come up normally? Like, how would he use it? It's, it's just one of those, he liked the word lengths, <laughs> um, but Milligan used to love the word thing or things. Um, so I'm guessing that he must've had a real, I mean, he had like a set of phrases that he would regularly trot out on his television shows, on chat shows. He had like six or seven phrases that he would often say, one of them being silence when you speak to me, <laughs> right? It, it sort of shouted, silence when you speak to me, get your dirty hand off my filthy arm, <laughs> right? All these you know, things like that. They're just, they're just hoary, corny old lines. Yeah. And I noticed that he said at least like four or five I picked up in the midst of all the anarchy and chaos. And I imagine that he's just ad-libbing. You know, yeah, sure. It's not, yeah. You know, it's not in the script or anything. It's, and, you know, he, he's, um, it's interesting that whereas Sellers, and like I said, we, we talked about this, where Sellers did not want to appear as himself in the sketches or songs or anything like that. Milligan is for the most part playing himself. I believe he is himself in maybe every segment that he's in. I could be wrong about yes. that. I don't, I don't remember him playing a character at any point you kind of see him traveling throughout the show. There's even a scene where, you know, after one of the bits, he comes out through the red curtain and talks to Kermit for a minute. He's still in costume from the previous thing. So it's like, he's an actual person going through this show. Whereas Sellers was like, you know, uh, assuming these different roles and you can kind of pretend that he's never actually there. You know, so, yeah, that's, so a, that's a really good point actually you've made there because it's, it's absolutely true. Sellers would always um, lose himself in a character. He'd always be behind the character, but you wouldn't see behind the character yeah um, milligan and you've only seen milligan on this on <laughs> that's this right show, okay milligan certainly in a sketch show any character that he played in any sketch show it was always just spike milligan wearing a false nose or <laughs> a stupid hat or yeah or a hitler mustache which he liked to dress up as hitler you know a lot oh yeah and he does a little uh heil hitler uh during yeah. the uh, it's a small world yeah that yeah. was pretty surprising they both like to 
do Germans <laughs> or yeah. Austrians. There was, there was always no doubt in the audience's mind that, oh, that's Spike Milligan. Even when he appeared in films, more or less, it was always Spike Milligan playing a character. It wasn't, you never thought, oh, you never sort of forgot that it was Spike Milligan. I, I get it. And there, there are those actors who are like that. Whereas I would say with Sellers, I could easily, even in The Muppet Show, something as light as that, I could forget that it was Peter Sellers in every one of those segments. And with Milligan, obviously they, they film these things separately, right? But uh, giving like, you know, the, the presentation of The Muppet Show is that it's one live show and you really could feel like Milligan is running from scene to scene and getting changed really quick and all that kind of thing. It, it seemed like he was yes. like experiencing this in real time, sort of. Yes. Whereas uh, the Sellers bits, like they, they could have been filmed weeks apart, right? They were just completely separate elements. Ladies and gentlemen, Spike Milligan! Still here? Sucker, stop punishment, eh? Right, now, good evening. Now, an appalling Now, comedy weather. With a surprise ending. Now, who came first? That's it! Hey, can we have our chicken back, please, mister? But enough about me and my troubles. That was the voice. Of Blue Zealand. Yeah, very good evening. They already know that you, Nana. <laughs> Mr. Zealand would only agree to reading the part of the voice off that says, Can we have our chicken back, please, mister? On condition that he would then be allowed to come on stage and show his face to the people as they would remember him and care about, get this, care about his career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And my boomerang fish act. What, 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 what? Yeah, New Zealand and his boomerang fish act. Every night is Friday night. <laughs> boomerang fish. Yeah, you see, I thought he fished away from me. Ah, yes. It all comes back to me now. What? Well, thank you, and good night. Good night? They already know it's a good night. <laughs> hey, comedy. Comedy? Comedy on this show? He's right again. It is comedy. Now, get out! He had this reputation throughout his life, as I said, for being unpredictable, for being manic. Spike was bipolar, so Spike was very often very up and very often very down. And it's hard to imagine the down. I haven't, I haven't seen that, you know, but I, yeah, I get it. I know that it happens, of course. The, the legend is that Spike wrote all the goon shows in the 50s and it basically drove him mad. That, wow. That, that's the legend. But, I mean, he wasn't doing it all on his own. But, you know, but still there was a, a big degree of pressure. Right, the pressure, the, the expectation from people, right? I can imagine that would really weigh yeah. on someone. And that's why he liked in the goon show, he liked to write gags, which were just sound effects, which were extended sound effects, <laughs> sequences, because he didn't have to write actual dialogue. So uh, you, you remind me of a point I want to make. It's, it's in my notes here. So uh, I actually found transcripts of the episodes online. And I have to admit, while I was listening, especially the first episode where I wasn't familiar with the characters at all, I actually needed the transcript to understand some of the things that were happening because the voices are so wild, you know, and sometimes with a, with a really strong regional accent. So I'm sure, it, you know, growing up in, it, uh, like living in the UK, they would be obvious, but for me, not as much with Irish and Scottish and Cockney and whatever. Um, I didn't understand everything that I was hearing. So I read along with these transcripts and it's really funny when there'll be a thing where there's like uh, a musical interlude or a musical kind of emphasis on something. And they'll mention in the transcript goes on for over one minute <laughs> because yeah. I think it's to your point, the kind of thing they were doing where they're filling time and kind of stretching it out so that the next line that is uttered will be even more funny because they just got through this long pause, you know, this long wait for the music. It was really, really brilliantly crafted. I thought some of, some of those things, the timing, the sequence, 
yeah, because I think I gave you or suggested five goon shows specifically. That's right. Yeah, 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 five or six. Yeah, I listened. I can't remember all of them. The flea and the the Lurgy episode that I don't recall the title. Yes. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the uh, Napoleon's piano mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and a few others. Yes, yeah. Spawn Plague, I think. So that, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, and another one called what was it called? Dishon- Dishonored again, I think. That's right. Yeah. Are, are these like classic episodes? Are these iconic? Um, yeah, more or less. I mean, the, the ones that I particularly enjoy and, and that I felt would be not necessarily the most, well, yeah, accessible to someone who, who hadn't really heard them before. But it's hard to say that. It's hard to judge. Um, but I felt the flea had enough about it that it, it might appeal to someone who'd never heard them before. And also, bearing in mind that you were an American, I just thought there were elements in it that might you might be able to identify with i don't know why i just it's it's a a fairly of the episodes i've listened to it's one that's fairly linear and accessible in terms of plot is the plot really important maybe not but um but it was really really just kind of like wild listening to that as the first episode i've ever heard and not knowing these characters at all and to me there, there's no history there and there's no significance there. So it's like, these just sound like random characters to me, people doing funny voices, but really, really funny. You know, actually something I wanted to mention is that it is just so pleasant to hear a bunch of people speaking really fast who are really great speakers with great voices, no matter what voice they're doing. It's really, really just kind of pleasant to, to listen to that kind of thing. Yes. And then, so something really interesting was in the second episode, I recognized these voices and that suddenly sort of illuminated this gigantic context that I get it now. And then by the third episode, I felt like, oh, I'm actually familiar with this now. I understand the rhythm of this. I understand these relationships. I understand why when you hear, you know, Blue Bottle, everyone laughs. And it's like, I I, I really started to get it a little more. And then I think I made it through maybe five or six episodes. In fact, I just listened to one uh, right before we spoke. It was the uh, Dishonored again. I just listened to Mm. uh, this afternoon while I was working. It was so mysterious and uh, just this giant unknown in the first episode. And I was really surprised by every single thing that was happening, every voice, every plot twist. Uh, And just like I mentioned earlier, how crazy it was. I just assumed it was going to be a little more calm and organized. And uh, yeah, I I can't explain why. Were you able to distinguish who was playing who? Great question. And not very consistently, but little by little I could. Um, I also have to mention that I was reading, I had the transcripts open and someone, I'd glance at them as needed, I would pause and look at them. And I also had the Wikipedia article open, a couple other things open where I was looking at who were the recurring characters and who played them. And I feel like I started to recognize patterns in their voices. So uh, actually Sellers, uh, well, yeah, all, all of them. I, I started to recognize it where there'd be certain characters that had to check. I wish I, I could remember the names, but I don't recall exactly who, mm. but, um, yeah, certain ones I, I got the hang of it. And it would be funny. I even I found myself laughing along with the audience. Like it's been, we're almost all the way through this episode and here's this guy that we haven't heard yet. And everybody kind of roars. <laughs> it was really, really cool. So I, I think I started to get the hang of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's this anchor, if you like, there's this central figure who we haven't mentioned by name at all on this podcast, which is Harry Seacombe. That's right. Yeah. Who I think was the heart of the goons. In Interesting. So I did want to ask you about him because we talked a lot about Sellers and Milligan and how well known these people were and what, what else were they known for? I read that uh, that he was um, also a singer, I guess, a tenor. And I yeah. wanted to ask you if he was, was he well known for being a singer or was that just like a side thing or is, is his, his past or whatever? No, he was very, very well known as a singer. 
Huh, okay. Um, he was, he was, again, he was, he was as famous in the UK as Salazar Milligan right up to the, to the end, basically. He would, he had a, a lot of television shows in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And he was, he used to present religious, some sort of religious, semi-religious programs on a Sunday. Huh. He was very uh, successful as a stage actor. He appeared in many successful stage shows. I often wonder whether The Goon Show would have actually prevailed if Harry Seacombe hadn't been there because he was the the level-headed, he was the one that everyone liked. Ah. Okay. He was the one that would always step in and sort of calm a tense situation. Because even though Sellers and Milligan were best of friends, they also hated each other from time <laughs> to time because they, 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 they were those kind of people. I get it. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I didn't know any of these things before I, before I talked to you, but I can, it really makes sense. You can really feel it where I feel like with Sellers and Milligan, uh, just my very, you know, kind of um, casual observation is like, you can sense that there's a sort of darkness there. And and with Seacomb, when I mentioned earlier, just the sound of someone speaking in, with a beautiful voice and speaking really, really clearly and really eloquently, um, his voice is fantastic. And that's why I read about him and found that he was a singer and that completely made sense. But yeah, he seems to have this very positive energy almost all the time. I can't think of an exception, really. I'm sure there are some. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what wonderful, wonderful sound to his voice and to his presence yes. in whatever story they're doing. Yeah, by all accounts, he he was universally loved. You know, he had no sort of, he, there, there was no darker side of Harry Seacombe. Yeah. He, he was, what you, what you saw was what you got with him. And he had that very distinctive voice that he couldn't really disguise it. He couldn't really do voices. He, you know, occasionally he would do different voices. More or less, he just stuck to doing the central character, which was Neddy Seagoon. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, his, um, it's easy to spot him as someone who wasn't familiar with the characters. I could, I could recognize his voice no matter what he was doing. Thank you. And now... My What is my many screaming guests? Oh. Mr. Peeps, the Count Jim Thighs Moriarty has been bitten by one of your English fleas. Yes, this means war between Monte Carlo. A physic on your... There are no fleas in my house. No, Moriarty, bend down and show the gentleman the bites. <laughs> Dances this bedding is flea-free. It's burned twice a day. Oh, then what's this on the sheet? Let me see. Siberian Railways. Proof positive. No wonder there's fleas. Master Peeps, I must warn you. Anything you take down will be uprooted, replanted at Trafalgar Square, and used in evidence against you. Uh, so uh, you, you know, tell me if you want to if you want to go back and record this. But I did want to ask you about the Beatles a little bit because uh, we talked about this on Twitter. I just we barely started, mm -hmm. uh, and and I'll admit I you know I'm as familiar with the Beatles as any casual like music fan is, but I'm not like an expert on the Beatles. But something that really 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 struck me is that every single thing I read about the Goon Show mentioned that they were a huge influence on the Beatles, and that was baffling to me because it's like what what does one have to do with the other? Uh, I only know the Beatles as a rock band, right? Like guys singing songs. What do these songs have to have to do with a bunch of comedians? It's a topic for a whole podcast, really. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Because the Goons didn't influence the Beatles musically, right? Right. They influenced them in terms of their humor. Lennon, in particular, loved the loved wordplay, and he, you know, he wrote a couple of books. They were very Goon inspired, Goon inflected. 
Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan became great friends with the Beatles and appeared in films like Sellers and Ringo Starr starred in a film together, for example. I had no idea. No. Peter Sellers released an EP of comedy covers of Beatles songs. For example, he did uh, A Hard Day's Night as Richard III from Shakespeare, <laughs> uh, which did very well on the charts, actually. No kidding. Um, there's so much that... It would take an age to sort of go through it all and sort of... Yeah. You could just say it's the whole... The, the Beatles' mindset, I suppose, was in, in many ways influenced by the goons. The key figure that you that sort of links the goons and the Beatles is George Martin. He started out producing comedy records, more or less, in the 50s. And he produced uh, all or most of Peter Sellers' comedy records. Uh, he produced some goons records. He produced some Spike Milligan solo records. He worked very closely with those guys in the 50s, with the goons, with, with Sellers in particular. When the Beatles eventually met George Martin, I think one of the key things about him that they picked up on, and one of the things that made them think, okay, we'd like to work with this guy, is the fact that you know, he worked with the goons. He knew the goons. Wow. And, and yeah. they'd grown up, no doubt, listening to... Sellers LPs like the best of Sellers songs for swinging Sellers, which were huge hit records for Peter Sellers in the in the late fifties. These were comedy records; they were comedy songs and sketches, basically. Right, right. Um, so there, there's a there's a line running through the Beatles, a goon line running through the Beatles, and then it feeds into Monty Python because George Harrison famously loved Monty Python. Again, I do intend to do a, a podcast about the Beatles and the Goons at some point. Because uh, there's um, someone I know who wants to, who knows a hell of a lot about the Beatles and a lot about the Goons and wants to kind of tie that in. But oh. it's it's one of those topics that it's so sprawling that um, to try and encapsulate it in five minutes is... Yeah, I can imagine. It's just too big, man. It's just too much. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you'll do the episode about the, the connection with the Beatles and the Goons because I, I want to understand it better. You know, I want to learn more about it. I know it's a huge topic. So yeah, please do that yeah. as soon as you can. <laughs> Thanks for, for coming on, Manning, and uh, I hope it wasn't too traumatic for you. <laughs> Not at all. No, really, really fun. Uh, if people want to see your work. Yeah, website's a good, a good starting place. It's my my first name and last name, manningkrull.com, M-A-N-N-I-N-G-K-R-U-L-L.com. That's kind of the gateway into everything that I do, my art projects, my social media, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks again to Manning. Uh, thank you as well for listening. Please uh, rate and review. I'm not begging for five-star. Well, I am begging. I guess, for five-star reviews because it does increase the listenership and helps to uh, get the podcast heard and make it more prominent. So yeah, please, if you could uh, give us some positive star ratings uh, on iTunes. Uh, I'll be back next episode. I think it's going to be an actual goon show again that we're covering, myself and a guest. So look forward to that. See you soon. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a very special lullaby in gibberish. song that I recall my mother sang to me She sang it as she tucked me in when I was 93 Are you ready? It is it? Let's go Ying-tong, 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 ying-
Strike your partner on the bean. Ow! 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 Ow!